Well, we're all dead. We're all dead. <laughs> we don't have to whisper anymore. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> we all died. Okay. The reason why we all just died and it's all my fault. I'm sorry. Is <laughs> because I'm still very quiet. It's <laughs> because we're talking about the 2018 American horror film, a Quiet Place. This is talking horror, and we're going to talk through all the spooky things in A Quiet Place and talk about all the human behavior things. So welcome, everyone. Welcome. Air horns. Oh, we shouldn't do air horns because that will certainly get us killed. <laughs> I'm just upset that I would have died. I'm mad at my... <laughs> well, you know what? Let's start off the episode with who... Will we survive this? Because I, I just want to be very clear, like... This we all think this is an exceptional film, correct? Yes, yes, but okay, also spoilers. So, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, maybe let's do spoilers, and then I want to I want to see who actually would survive this thing between the three of us. Okay, well, <laughs> we're, just, we're just getting so ahead of ourselves. We're so excited about this. <laughs> who are we? If we can't protect them, who are we? You have to protect them. Promise me. You will protect them. But this movie is John Krasinski's directorial debut, yes? Yes. And it is written by Brian Woods, Scott Beck, and Krasinski, and it's based on a story conceived by Woods and Beck. And it stars Krasinski, his wife, Emily Blunt, and what a name, Millicent Simmons, like absolutely, and Noah Jupe as their children. Now, obviously, heavy spoilers, oh, um, wow, heavy spoilers are coming. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying today. I'm <laughs> Spoiler alert. If you have not watched this movie, please go watch it. At first, it was on Netflix, and I was trying to find it on there, but now you have to get it on uh, Amazon and rent it. Yeah, um, we, rent, we rented it this time. Yes. So is are there any trigger warnings that you need to bring up, Jamie, before we get into it? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think I have anything unless there's some, something that I'm missing and you you all have them. <laughs> no, I think it's, pretty, it's a pretty straightforward uh, post-apocalyptic monster movie. So let's get into it. Brian, do you want to be the first to answer if you would survive this specific apocalyptic society? No, I'm so loud. <laughs> no, I would not survive this at all. Like not if I I think that I I think that if I lucked out mm-hmm. and survived like the very beginning of everything and like made it to day it starts on day 80, 80 86. Okay. Right? Like I think when it 
when it opens, it's it says day eighty six, and then it flashes forward to mm-hmm. like day three hundred and something or, or whatever. I forget what the numbers are. If I made it to like day five or whatever it is, or day six or seven, like if I made it to day two, I think I could adapt. I really do think I could adapt, but I don't in terms of like surviving. But I think I would eventually die because like I don't think I'm like as as handy as the John Krasinski character is like doing all that stuff. Um, so no, I don't think I would make it, but if I was, if I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to try and make it, I think I would make a good go of it. Okay. So another question similar to that, if you don't think you could have survived this apocalyptic world, do you think you could survive a zombie apocalyptic world or so that's a that's a great question it really depends on the type of zombie one mm, okay two i hang I, I with that context i think i have a better chance of surviving in a quiet places world than i do in like a zombie world just because of like my physical prowess but i do <laughs> or lack of such um but it depends on the zombie like slow zombies that like if i could dress up like as a zombie and walk with them and like sneak away from them i think i could like figure that out like Shaun of the dead style yeah like i think that but i don't know if i would do a good job of of surviving like using weapons and i mean i but i also don't know how i would react in like a situation like that that'll be totally situational but Mm. i do think being quiet and just like living on my farm i think i would do a better job than uh than like having to kill zombies and stuff like that yeah jamie what about you could you survive this world and if not this world and is there another world that you could survive um, I mean, I I think that I am a quieter person. Um, Brian's always telling me to speak louder because he can't hear me. So I think that's a good sign. I know that if I was pregnant giving birth, there's just no freaking way that I would survive that. Like, I, I think there's like things like that or, or like... <laughs> What happens if you have to fart? Like, how do people fart in this world? Um, you need to like put into pillows. <laughs> Um, yeah, but like, I don't know. I mean, so I, I think when we were watching this, I was like, oh, I would die because I have really bad allergies and all I do is just like sniffle and cough because I have a post-nasal drip. So that's my downfall would be my post-nasal drip. (laughs) (laughs) Throwing in a sniff just for good measure. (laughs) That was incredible. Absolutely. I don't think I could survive this either. I do not have the wherewithal to invent all of the things and think so detailed about not making any sound. I would forget and do something that would make a sound. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. think of it in advance, especially one thing that I really liked was the sand everywhere. And so you couldn't Mm. hear their footsteps, which was hella smart. Very clever. I guess if I had to rank it, because in watching this, I was thinking, could I survive this world or a zombie world or kind of like the movie The Day After Tomorrow where it's like global warming, post-apocalyptic things? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I could probably more so survive like the global warming apocalypse and then probably a quiet place world and then zombie world. Hmm. Because also... I don't even know where I could get a gun right now to shoot a zombie or like sure. them. So that would that would be my my listicle of well that's that's interesting. You could kill them with your microphone. Yeah. 
Right in the head. But you take boxing. You can box the zombies. Yeah, you can punch them. I don't want to get anywhere near them. I need to shoot them from afar so I can run. Fair. Okay, understood, mm. understood. All right. <laughs> this is all fair. Fair. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Jamie and I have seen A Quiet Place Part 2, but we are going to talk about this film as if we have not seen A Quiet Place 2. Um, Nikisha, have you seen... I know you've seen a lot of stuff in between now and the last time we recorded. Yes, absolutely. So guys, we talked about, well, as in we talked about, not on this podcast, but separately, that we are getting suggestions for movies for this. And so I got a suggestion from my friend Terrence Fleming to watch The Uninvited. Mm. One of those early 2000 movies. I had never seen it before and it is streaming on Amazon Prime as of now, June 8th. And we have to do it for the podcast I don't want to say anything more about it because I okay. just have to put it on the list and watch it. Yes, ma'am. Um, so it's actually an American remake of a Korean horror film that's supposed to be incredible that I actually haven't seen, A Tale of Two Sisters. Ooh. Just putting out there, maybe we do a double feature. I think that would be incredible. That also leads me into my next suggestion, which is a Korean horror movie. My friend Adam Perez suggested it. It's called The Call. And of course, I'm not talking about the horrible Halle Berry movie that's on Netflix right now. It is a Korean horror movie. And we also have to do this on the podcast, but please indulge me for just like 60 seconds as I talk about how great this movie was. I am not up on my Korean horror movie knowledge, but this movie, what made it good is how absurdist it can be as uh, overdramatic, you know, not bad acting, but overdramatic in a way to where you have to suspend your disbelief so early in order to enjoy it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're going to be wondering like, oh, well, why is this the way that this is? Or what are the rules? And you guys know I love like a rule. I need everything to like line up and be okay. But the premise of this movie, and you find this out early. So spoiler alert, but not spoiler alert because you find it out in the trailer. The premise is this woman, she is going home to visit her mother because her mother has terminal cancer. While this girl is at home, she gets a phone call and it's from another woman who's calling for help because she is being tortured. And what you find out in the first 10 minutes is that the call is coming from that exact same house 20 years ago. So the present is 2019 and the calls that are coming in are from 1998. And when I tell you, I did not even question why this was possible because the movie was that good. Oh, I just got goosebumps just you saying that. (laughs) Yes. So I highly suggest it. It's on Netflix right now. And I'm sure we'll probably do a podcast about it because I absolutely loved it. So also, I love that we're talking about a movie called The Call during A Quiet Place. (laughs) (laughs) No ringing, no phone calls were made here, but... Getting back into it, so this was my first time. I don't think I told you this, but this is my first time watching A Quiet Place all the way through. I oh wow, wait, really? Yeah, really. I started it early pandemic when it was on blaring on Netflix, um, and uh-huh, everyone uh-huh. talking about it. And sometimes when people talk about how good something is, I don't watch it because I'm like blah blah blah. But <laughs> it's really good, and I enjoyed it. And yeah, I'm sure we'll go into details about it, but. Before we get too heavy, heavy into it, we do need to do a plot summary of this amazing masterpiece. So, <laughs> Jamie is getting herself ready. Uh, 
starts the clock. <laughs> Brian is going to time her. She's yep. going to give us a two-minute plot summary of the first Quiet Place. We are just talking about the first one. No spoilers for the second. All right. Ready and go. Okay, so we open on a family of five, husband, wife, a teenage daughter, and two younger sons. They are barefoot in this like old uh, this town trying to get supplies. Um, the youngest kid picks up a space shuttle toy and tries to like take it with him and the father takes the way and t- and you know shush shushes shush, shush him and then the teenage daughter gives the toy to the boy they leave the store they're walking through town or whatever and then all of a sudden the young boy activates the toy the father tries to turn it off but the kid gets taken away by a creature like he just gets killed um Flash forward to a year later, the teenager is feeling really terribly about the death of her younger brother. Um, the mom is super pregnant. Um, uh, the the teenage daughter wears a cochlear implant, and her father tries to give her uh, like an updated one, but they're not working. One minute. One minute. Oh God. Um, blah blah blah. Everybody everybody separates uh, for you know variety of reasons. The mom goes into labor, has to be very very quiet. The the father and son are coming back and trying to make a dis- loud distraction so that the mom doesn't die while giving birth. The daughter somehow reconnects with her brother. Uh, uh, in the fields of the farm, they end up on a grain silo. They almost die. Um, then the father is trying to save them. He sacrifices himself for his children. Then the daughter realizes that her cochlear implant can help uh, stop the creatures temporarily and disorient them. And then the mom is able to shoot one with a shotgun. Yes, and movie. And you have ten uh, have, seconds left. Anything uh, else you want to? Do you want to start talking about a quiet place part two? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sure I missed a whole bunch of things. No, but I, I like the Conjuring movies. I feel like that's exactly what happened here. And then, like the <laughs> no, but the rest is just like the scares or the incredible use of sound. Yeah. Realistically, like that opening sequence is just like truly great yeah should we get into should we get into everything speaking of wait can i say the trivia that i learned from from that first scene um and i forget where we saw it but um in the store that they are in i don't know how much you know this it but there's a whole aisle of potato chips so like when you're looking through all the aisles, most of the aisles are empty. There is a full aisle of potato chips, which leads you to believe that people stopped taking those because they were too loud and crunchy and make a lot of sound. And I did not realize that in my first watch. I learned that much later on. I thought that was so clever. And I think that just like is a great example of the of the thoughtfulness that goes into this whole movie. And now I'm done. So. I love this movie and I think this movie is excellent. I think it does a great job of potentially trying to portray what it would be like if sound monsters came to earth. However, 
Boo. You're telling me that they had printing presses to say that it's sound? Like, <laughs> those newspapers said, like, it's sound, be quiet. Meanwhile, those printing presses are probably so loud, like, like... Like I guess the, I guess the internet stopped working because like monsters knocked down internet towers. But like, how are you gonna do those printing presses? Like those should be all dead. I don't know. That's plus the then you thing have I the paper say. boys who are like, "Get your paper here," and then they're probably all dead too. Yeah, like the newsies. A mighty fine line, carrying the up and <laughs> The newsies came and yelled, and that's why they're extinct, guys. We yeah, quiet place. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's all I have to say about that. But well, I have seen this before, and I found my ticket stub ooh. from uh, January, February, March, April eighth, twenty eighteen, <laughs> Auditorium Four at Union Square, uh, the Regal at Union Square, at two thirty in the afternoon. Mark, April. Yeah. Wait, when was you said? April eighth, twenty eighteen. Was that like a, the week before Sunday. our first date? Oh yeah, it was. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Oh, oh, you're such a couple. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, going into some trivia, too, about the sound, there is a wonderful YouTube video of how they make the sounds for different things that do have sound in the movie. And one of the things is when the monster's ear is opening, they're Mm -hmm. actually just crushing a stalk of celery and lettuce. (laughs) <laughs> yes to to make like the crickly sound and foley artists are the coolest artists on the face of this planet absolutely it's it was so interesting to watch and then like when the monster is walking it's just crab legs cracking crab legs and the echolocation ticking they're actually tasing a bunch of grapes and they slow down the sound of the tase and so that's when you get that like um slower kind of clicking noise but i thought it was really cool that's super cool it's literally the scariest noises are vegetables and fruits (laughs) in the movie Hmm. and so it was super cool but let's talk about obviously we all liked it but what are some of the things that really stuck out to you that made you enjoy this movie for what it was anybody's up Sure, I'll go. I just think that storytelling is great without words. I just think that from the second this movie starts, you know exactly who these characters are. You understand the world. You understand the devastation of the world. You understand the rules of the world. (laughs) Um, Obviously, the use of sound is incredible. I I feel like a lot of these are just like known things about this movie. Um, uh, I think that what this movie does really well is... And, and, and Jamie can comment on this better than probably we can, but I feel like it depicts trauma uh, really well without telling us what their trauma is. It mm-hmm. shows us what their trauma is. For instance, like this young girl feels like she killed her younger brother and, and that's reflected in her relationship with her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that it was very smart to have one of their daughters, um, be deaf not only for obviously like the 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 framing device of the movie but because you believe that this family survives because they know sign language already so they can communicate with each other so they have that built into the fabric of all of them already um i think that's something that i really loved about this movie is 
how much emotion they're holding in without sound. Like when, when one of them listens to, when she's listening to music, I think at one point and like, or like when she just, they all just, they, you could tell they want to scream. And then when she finally does scream in the bathtub, when the fireworks go off, like there's this really cathartic, like the, the emotion that they've been holding in for all of these days. And that, that day framing is totally awesome. Um, is really, really, really good. And like the relief of music in their ears for the audience is excellent. Um, oh, and then I have other questions that we'll get about like, why didn't they use the loud sound tactic more often? I guess like why didn't, a lot of questions people ask, like why does not create your house underneath the waterfall, like stuff like that. Um, why wait till now to teach the kid how to like fish and hunt and stuff like that. Um, is it because of the anniversary of the death of their son? Is it because the baby is going to take the son's place? Like, why are we, why, why do they choose to have this story take place now? Not even just taking the son up, but the story in general, which I thought was great utilizing the death of the son. Um, I thought that the old man yelling was very selfish. He could have just been like, Hey, keep going. And then I'll kill myself. Um, I think that, uh, (laughs) I think the best part of the movie, and I'm Nikisha, you may get into this with your Jamie questions, is who are we if we can't protect them? I thought that was like the thesis of this movie, like for sure. The ending is always a little confusing to me. It made more sense this time. I also think that not all sounds are created equal in this universe. They make way more noise in the house than they do outside, which I get, but like, they're like super quiet in the sand outside. Inside, they're like, whoa, like just like running around a little bit. Um, I mean, that's fine, but like, it just is what it is. They're like very protective of their children. Like not even letting them go into the basement to see all that stuff just seems weird. Weird. Um, also, as amazing as the nail sequences, that nail would never be there. But it was awesome. Uh, like some Home Alone <laughs> stuff right there. Uh, uh, yeah, it's smart. And it's really deeply sad without like trying to be sad the whole movie. Yeah, I love this movie. I think it's so well made. I, I think the ending is a little bit wonky. with, But I think this time it made a lot more sense. And I think the closing shot of this movie... I remember that, like, that's the thing I actually remember the most about this movie with just like uh, that, like badass Emily Blunt, like is so great, but okay. I'll stop there because I'm sure we'll get into a lot more of this, but like this movie is easily one of my like tops that we've watched on this podcast. And and I know that our listeners haven't, you know, gotten into all the, everything into the thick of it. Into the thick of it. Um, But. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, Jamie, do you, <laughs> you didn't like, do you have a list? <laughs> I don't, I don't have a list. Um, although I think Brian covered a lot of the points that I agree with. Um, something in terms of one of their children being deaf, I, to take it a step further, I really appreciate that John Krasinski actually like hired the deaf actress to play that role, which I think is really important. And like having somebody who was actually familiar with ASL to, to like strengthen why that was so like, it was clear that that was such an important element. And I think that it makes perfect sense that you would seek out an actress that that is also deaf to play that role. So I really appreciated that. I actually liked it better on the second watch um, because I think, again, like the the birth, the birthing scene, um, I like hated it the first time I watched it because I was like, no, 
no, that's just not how any of this would work. And it just made me really mad. Um, and then this time around, I think I had more of an appreciation of like their defense system and like the mechanisms for that and like planning this pregnancy. Cause I was like, there's just no way that any of this is going to work. Um, but it weirdly kind of does, um, and then, and then the nail thing too also annoyed me in the first watch because like Brian said, that wouldn't be there, but also like I would fucking scream. Like I would just scream. I would be super dead. Like that would be the end of me. Like, I don't know. I like say ow every time I like accidentally walk, like I pretty often walk into things. I like stubbed my toe a week ago and like still have a bruise. Like I'm just, I'm just a clumsy mess. And like, I, I don't know how she, I mean, like Emily Blunt is like so badass in this movie, but like, I, I guess, is this supposed to make me feel like this is like the everyday family? Cause like, I don't think it, it I don't think it is. Yes. <laughs> no, I agree. I definitely stumble on everything and I would have screamed and that's included in one of my notes. I just put, are you going to cover up that nail question mark, question mark, question mark? Like what is, what is happening? My first note that I put when I watched this and this is really terrible, but this is what I thought. I said, kids are the worst because <laughs> literally he told you not to, you know, the rules. I don't care how young you are. That shouldn't, it shouldn't have happened. It was easily avoidable. I know that it's part of the story and it's what makes the whole basis of why they are doing the things that they are doing. But I was just like, wow, kids are the worst. But my <laughs> was, <laughs> the cinematography is pretty amazing a lot of the shots like and I think Brian had said this I think not even in this podcast but another podcast way many moons ago but if you just paused in one of the movies like some of the shots could be their own like work of art it's really quite beautiful in my opinion and I love the title <clears throat> at the beginning with the sand like whooshing in the wind and then it's like a quiet place and I was like "Ooh, yes I'm into it let's do it I also said, uh, well, this is a side question, but Jamie, yay or nay to epidurals? Because what the heck? <laughs> Her in the bathtub could, no. Natural birth? Mm -mm. If no. I could just be asleep and then wake up and the baby is born, that's my ideal birthing <laughs> scenario. Um, so if that's any indicator of where <laughs> I'm at, then. I agree a thousand percent because it could not, would not, you should not. I think also that this is a test. This movie is a testament to the acting and the actors for there to be no words and no over dramatic physical gestures and everything still is seen and followed through and you know exactly what's going on and they don't have to do any grand gestures. Like they just have enough of nuance that you can follow along with everything and not feel like you're straining to be like, what, what's happening? What's going on? And I think one of the main scenes that made me realize how great this was, was just when Emily Blunt was telling the daughter to go get uh, the dad for dinner and she just gave a look and then the daughter was just like, up, <laughs> like, go get him. And she was like, yeah. And it was it. It was just like all in the eyes, which is what <laughs> acting is anyway, especially on camera. Like, it's not as over dramatized as, you know, theater acting, but it's because you're playing to in a house of however many people. And then you have a camera literally two inches away from your face. And I think they just did a beautiful job of not 
being so much and having the acting be so little and it's still so grounded. Uh, also, I also uh, just to kind of piggyback on that quickly. I mm-hmm. also think that this movie benefits from the fact that they're actually married in real life and that they communicate they they could read each other in real life so it wasn't like they had to do any like super extra work to make sure that they connect on camera and for a movie with no words for most of it i feel like it is very clear that they're on the same page that they understand each other and i think that adds to the realism of that entire world if that makes Mm -hmm. sense absolutely totally agree also in that world how is everybody so groomed okay like (laughs) the eyebrows the i mean John Krasinski has like, you know, the, the fluff in his beard, but everyone else is just, where are you getting razors and all of this stuff? I mean, I guess you can get them from the store and like, but I'm sure you wouldn't sacrifice like shaving to be hurt by these monsters, but they're so. Yeah. Shaving cans are loud. <laughs> Don't use them. But they're all just so like crimped. And I just remember watching, you know, like shows like survivor or like naked and afraid. And after like 12 days, they're like, you know, gone but i'm more curious about the eyebrow thing how like unruly are people's eyebrows getting i feel like ever since i like plucked my eyebrows as a as a i don't have very thin eyebrows but like everywhere i pluck them from they haven't really grown back from there so i'm curious about like how how unruly are we talking listen catch me a week after not plucking my eyebrows (laughs) (laughs) i'll let you know how that how that life is (laughs) Also, and like I said, one of my notes was like, are you going to cover up that nail girl? What, what is with that? And I did like the ending setting up the sequel. Like Brian said, that was one of the main scenes that stood out in my brain. It's like, I'm going to remember Emily Blunt being ready for battle. But overall, all good things. So let's get into the mental health aspect of everything. Because I have a lot. Ready. So... <laughs> This movie, and Brian also mentioned, just mentioned this, focuses on trauma, but also a lot of anxiety, or at least I had a lot of anxiety watching this movie. So the parents not only have to look after themselves, but they have to look after their children. And it's the thing of when becoming a parent means that your sole purpose is to protect your kids over everything else. And that theme was very prevalent in this movie. So my question is, we're obviously all not parents, but (laughs) what do you think causes some parents to be so protective of their kids and some parents to kind of just let their kids do whatever or parents that unfortunately leave their children's lives? And I know that there's probably different circumstances and environmental issues that can contribute to that. But Jamie, do you have any thoughts on why do you think some parents bring children into the world and they're helicopter parents or they're just like they don't give a crap about them what are your thoughts I mean something that that makes me think about is like the process of like of actually giving birth since we were talking about this like very unrealistic birth scene um but like I you know from what I know about pregnancy like a lot of times there is this experience of like as you are creating a life like there's a connection that you feel sometimes it takes people longer to have that connection so it might not happen during pregnancy but could happen like post birth and like that connection, like one of the first things that happens after you give birth is like the skin to skin contact to be able to create that bond. And I think it does a lot for like 
that, that can, that like immediate connection of like, I have to like keep this tiny human safe. Um, and like they do skin to skin with like both parents. And so it's not just like the parent that is giving birth. Um, and I think that that can be a really like meaningful moment that like really shifts the, like, first it was just about us, but like now it's about us and like protecting this, like this tiny creature that like needs, needs to depend on us. Um, but again, like that, that sometimes doesn't happen for folks. Um, I think like, you know, with things like postpartum depression, it's harder, it's like more difficult to have those connections. Um, and, and like, it can take a little bit longer. Um, but that's like just one particular piece, I think in terms of like how, how people parent, I think like there's other elements like what their own, you know, childhood experiences were like and like how they um, either like model what they have as, as children or, or like wanting to not model what they experience as children. And, and like, I think access to resources also plays a role in how people parent. Um, So I think there's like a lot of different elements that, that can influence like people who are incredibly overprotective. I'm sure if like people already are struggling with anxiety and like particularly neurotic, then they might be, you know, more, uh, helicoptery, I think is the word that you used. So (laughs) helicopter parent, they're, they're always around hovering. Love you, mom and dad. (laughs) (laughs) You spoke on postpartum depression or a little bit about it. Can you define that? And can you compare someone experiencing postpartum depression to like Emily Blunt's character actually losing a child and grieving from that? So I guess uh, comparing grief and PPD symptoms, are they similar? Are they not? Yeah. um, I mean, postpartum, so like postpartum is the experience after giving birth and I'm not like super uh well versed in like postpartum or or postnatal or like any of that. It's it's actually an area that I'm very interested in learning more about. Yeah. Um but so like the idea it's like uh a mood disorder that is related to childbirth. Um but it's not just specific to the person who has given birth. It can affect both sexes. So I think that's something interesting of note. Um, but it can, it can look like, you know, not just like stereotypical depression, but also like low energy, anxiety, um, you know, irritability, um, changes in like appetite and diet and like remembering to eat, um, changes in sleep, which again, like I imagine that most parents are probably having significant shift in their sleeping habits. Um, and then like the time period can really vary. So like, it's not, it's not always going to necessarily happen like immediately upon, um, like the child being born, but it can take like a couple weeks or a couple months, um, and, and can last for a bit of time as well. Um, and, what was the, was there a secondary question? I forget. Yes. In comparison to, I guess, cause when I think, and I could be totally wrong in, in what this is, but when someone is experiencing postpartum depression, are they depressed because they have lost something that was connected to them? That's now on the outside. Like what, why is the depression happening? 
And I guess I wanted to compare that to maybe a depression <laughs> someone might, uh, might have from actually physically losing a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> some of it has to do with like a shift in hormones, like the body, like the physical body is going through a lot to be able to birth a child. And so, um, like even before that, like the physical body is doing all of this to prepare for, like is, is creating a child and like that there's like all these things happening in the body to like make that work. And then once, and then like the process of actually like giving birth and then after that. So like, there's so much transition that's happening, um, Mm -hmm. that I imagine like that plays a huge role. I think also like if, if you are like predisposed, predisposed to, um, any kind of like genetic or familial depression or anxiety, then you also might be at risk as well. Um, so, so yeah, so like all of like hormones and, and genetic history and like all of those things. And you think it'll be the, and that's kind of the same feelings, I guess, the same kind of depression as if someone actually like physically lost their child, like Emily Blunt's character at the beginning of the movie. Um, I mean, I think like, cause that's like grief, but not to say that, you know, there isn't an overlap between depression and grief. Um, and I mean, it's clear that like grief plays a central role in this movie, like we were talking about and like trauma and how everybody's responding differently. And I think it's it is like, this is a, a great example of just like how different people can experience one singular event and all make different meaning from it. And so like you see, <clears throat> you see John Krasinski, the father character, like, kind of isolating himself and just like trying to connect with other people. And it seems like he kind of is like, has that space from his family a little bit. Um, Emily Blunt, his wife is like clearly trying to like kind of pull him back in and like trying to keep the family unit together as evidenced by what you said earlier with like having the daughter go get him to bring him to dinner. Um, the daughter really internalizing and personalizing her grief as the person who feels at fault for the death of her youngest brother. And then the other brother, um, who is just like incredibly anxious. Like he's so traumatized and like that is clear in his experience when he goes with his father to go like hunting and like fishing for the first time. And like this, like learning all these things and like learning how to be a little bit more independent is like so frightening to him because like the world is a scary place. Like that's the message that he, that he got out of that and is processing. So like, it's so interesting just to see how everybody, um, like not only does everybody physically separate in this movie and like, like all kind of branch out, but like the way that they're also experiencing this same singular trauma is also like a branch out from each other. And it's only until they like reconnect as a family unit, are they able to like process this event um, kind of at the same time as like work through the, you know, whatever fear Fit, like the aliens or, or whatever they are like coming to attack yeah. them in that moment. Um, and so, yeah. Oh, I didn't mention this, but I think that John Krasinski scream in that scene at the end is really dumb sounding. That's all. <laughs> Dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was 
was like, you couldn't do like a better, like, script. It was like, ah, I don't remember. I don't remember what it sounded like, but I was just like, oh man, like this one moment where you get to have like a really cathartic loud noise and like, it just sounded so goofy. Yes. Well, I thought that whole death sequence, easily avoidable, but my- Yeah. So wait, so I know you have one more question, but you already mentioned it and we're here. Okay. So <laughs> what, do, what I, what doesn't make sense to me at the end is like, I don't understand why some of these characters don't just sit and be quiet. Like, like they were in the wo- in the in the corn when this is all starting. Like, you know what you do? You sit down and you shut up. Like, that's like all you have to do. Like, like just sit. Like, and also the car makes so much noise even in neutral. Like, what the hell? Like, the the kids went away, and whenever the kids go move away in that truck, I'm just like, you ruined all the goodwill your dad had. And like, what's sad is that we. I think what's actually sad when I got this time is that we as an audience knew how to solve it in the moment where he's seeing all these things at the time. Like this is, this is his decision that he made. They're very protective of their kids as we talked about. And like, you know, that's the decision that that he made in the moment. And like, you know, you just got to stand there and just be quiet and like, you know, like, or throw something, throw something very far away. Like, I feel like there are a lot of ways out of that situation, but so, so like trying to be cathartic about that ending or like, like, and be like, oh, he gave himself to the cause for his kids and whatnot. Like, it doesn't always ring true. However, in this, this ending, this time I watched it through, I definitely bought in more into the scenario than not than the first time. Because I remember the first time seeing this, like, just sit down. <laughs> oh, also, did you know that there's a term for getting submerged in grain and not giving and and not being able to escape? And it's called grain entrapment. And apparently it has a very high fatality rate. That's all. Wow, grain entrapment. <laughs> Death by grain entrapment. Or grain? engulfment. Engulfment. Okay. Wait, grain engulfment or entrapment? It's it's either or. Like Whoa. <laughs> Great. I have to write that down. <laughs> One second. Uh, okay. And also, Brian, you just, I mean, we're already here. But one of my other questions just in the human behavior aspect was, did you have any moments that you thought the characters made the wrong decision? <laughs> and I definitely agree that that whole thing was avoidable. But Jamie, do you have a specific memory of something that you were like, oh, y'all, this, this is too much. Y'all are too much. I mean, I definitely didn't need the daughter to like go, like leave at all. Like there was like no point. Like the only thing that, yeah, like that part just didn't make sense to me. Like if she wanted to demonstrate that she was, that she could be just as like sufficient as the father, as the father, in the same way that the father was trying to instill that in the son. But like, obviously that was for a very specific purpose. I just, I wish that she would have tried to follow them versus like doing something totally independent for no reason, unless like her goal, I don't know if her, like, I guess like on second watch, part of me was thinking like, was she doing this because she was like trying to like leave and never return to like her family unit. Cause she thought her father didn't love her kind of thing. Um, and like, but like, what's the point of that? Like that just didn't make sense. 
No, I I agree. It was at first I thought she was going to go and meet them. Yeah. But she just went to the the site where her brother passed and it was just it was awkward and weird to me. But one last thing on the mental health aspect then we'll get more into our likes and dislikes of of this. Growing up in an environment as uh, or growing up in this particular environment as a child where the only interaction that you have is with your family and say that this can go on for however long until adulthood, but then all the monsters are dead and, you know, COVID is gone and we can go back to, and there's <laughs> people in the world and we can go back to our lives. How can that have a lasting effect on a child's social skills when they're only interacting with family members as opposed to other people that they don't know. Yeah. I mean, my thought is that, I mean, one thing I think it's great that at least they're siblings. I imagine that they would be so much like if that was like me and my parents, like I, that yes, there's just no way we would all just be super dead. Um, but because I would probably do what this girl didn't just leave. Um, sorry. Love you, mom and dad. Uh, but I think that at least like, you know, having a larger family unit where like the kids are decently relatively close in age to be able to like have support from one another from like within their own like unique child experiences compared to the parents. Um, But still, I, I imagine that there would be some like resistance towards connecting with other people. But it's interesting because like we don't see it in this movie, but the father is like John Krasinski is trying to connect with other people. And it's, it's weird because, and I don't know, they don't really like talk about this in this movie, but like they're all lighting those fires and they're lighting the fires. And then like, he sees the other fires and that's like, okay. So like there are still people who are alive, but then he's also trying to radio other people with Morse code and no one's responding. So like, that's kind of a disconnect for me in terms of like, what's the point of them lighting the fires if they're never connecting with anyone from the outside world, assuming that those are also other humans who are lighting the same fires. When did they decide that like the fire lighting was going to be a thing? And what, what purpose does it serve other than like still alive over here? Um, If they're never, again, like they're never communicating with each other or connecting. Then I was like, maybe they, maybe everyone else is just like dumb and no one nearby knows Morse code. And that's why they're not able to connect because no one's talking. And so it makes sense that like maybe, and maybe no one has like had phones or whatever. So they're not able to like listen to a radio, listen to Morse code without potentially alerting the monster. So like lighting a fire is for whatever reason, quieter than that. But I think I, I wonder like, you know, in general for this particular family, maybe they would have had a better time connecting with other people because John Krasinski was like trying so hard to connect with others. And like, if, if people had responded to his messages, how would that have changed things in terms of like, the socialization that could have happened by like people coming to get like more people coming together, pulling their resources together, working together, um, to, and potentially like, you know, again, like socialize if there's like other children and other families. Um, but to the same point, because they never connect with anyone, like, does that then reinforce that? Like, well, why are these dad, why are these other people lighting these fires? Nobody wants to talk to us. Like, does that mean they're not to be trusted? So like in another way, I think it could really like 
you know, fuck up somebody's sense of like trust in, in humanity and, and wanting to like reach out to other people. So I, I have a lot of mixed messages around those things that like don't really make sense for me in this movie. Um, and I don't know if any, if either of you have any thoughts about like what I just talked about. No, I agree exactly with what you said as, as far as when did they all decide that we're going to start lighting fires to <laughs> let everyone know? And I guess that is kind of like a fight or flight sense to see if someone's out there to when it is dark and someone can see a fire, like naturally, oh, we're just going to light a fire. But how it played out in the movie just made it seem like at this time, we're all going to do this. But how did we all get to that point? Which leads me to another question for the both of you. It's just a random question and you talking about it. Wow. And it just left my mind. (laughs) Oh, as far as civilizations go, if you so happen to survive all of this and it's day 100 and whatever, and you do find people, do you think that your survival chances are better with just your people and your system? Or like you said, Jamie, coming together and collecting resources, do you think that would create more problems, more potentials for sound? Which would you choose to actually be with a group of people or to just be with your own people? That's a great question. question. I've thought, I've kind of thought about this before. Like I've had those like random intrusive thoughts of like, if there was a zombie apocalypse tomorrow, like what role would you serve? And I'm like, all right. So like real talk, what are my skills? I am a therapist so I can like help people's brains, but like, I'm not like going to be useful in an apocalypse. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an, I don't have any medical skills. I'm not a, I have no agricultural skills. So like, I'm not really a farmer. Although we are kind of successfully growing shishito peppers and tomatoes in our backyard that were already half grown because I bought them that way from Home Depot. Um, So those are not skills that I have. Um, I mean, like, I guess I could be like helping in the school, assuming that the school would have to exist at some point to like educate any children in this apocalypse. But like that might that's like the that's it. You know, I don't have I, I need skills. That's that's what I learned about these experiences. So like, I don't know how well I would fare on my own or if it was like a just me and like my small, if it was like just me and Brian, like, you know, escaping the apocalypse, then I don't know how well we would fare. And I, I understand that other people might not see the value of like having the therapist join as like an extra mouth to feed, having to share extra resources unnecessarily. But like, from my perspective, I'm like, no, I want to join the other people because like, they're probably really good at, you know, securing resources. Right. What about you, Brian? To practice some archery or something. Yes. I don't know. Initially, I just think like if in a world with sound, like you just want to be on your own or just like with a like just very small. Yes, you're going to have issues with the resources and, and potentially things like that. But you're really only working with one or two people. You can like, you know, you can control the sound a little bit more, I guess. Um you know, that that's my initial thought. But then like uh, Jamie make brings up the good point of like what skills you have, you know, even if you don't have the skills to begin with, like I would want like if I would want to learn like farming from somebody else potentially and, and all of that, like I, I don't know. But my initial gut says in that world, you want to be with as few people as possible so that you can control your own sound because that's mm-hmm. the number one thing. But like. I think if you know your weaknesses and where you need to find strengths, like 
finding those individuals to connect with, like that might be a little bit better, but like building a relationship without this initial sound is really tough. Mm. So like, it's, you know, you'd have to build these relationships without talking to each other and like feel it out more than like Jamie and I being left into the wild. But like, we, we already kind of like understand the other one, if that makes sense. So there are, um, there are obviously pros and cons, but I would probably I would probably choose to be with as few people as possible um, because just like more people brings more noise. Also, another thing I thought of, you can't drink seltzer or beer in this world because burps are loud. They're so loud. <laughs> also, like I feel like animals within – I mentioned this, like Ted would not do well in this no, at all. He no. has no chill and he barks all the time. Um, yeah, but the, that reminds me because you don't see – any animals in these movies because mm-hmm. they're all goners like like you barely see any birds in these things or mm-hmm. you know like 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 yeah of course those are the first things that are gone unfortunately yeah i didn't even think about that that's so true they're not a bird not anything in sight wow yeah other random questions in this world and this is for the both of you you can answer it but if someone is born in the apocalypse, like the little baby was, not being able to hear others speak, and this goes on hmm. forever, do you think that they will not have um, any speech skills when they get older because they're not hearing? And I guess I thought about this earlier in the movie, but then like later on, they are like talking in the in the basement, but. Mm-hmm. Essentially, if there were absolutely, let's just say, there's absolutely no talking at all. Do you think that a child would just only know sign language and not be able to speak? I mean, potentially, like language is learned. Um, yeah. So like it really depends on what that, like how are they teaching that? Like it's clear that they all learned ASL. Um, and I imagine that like that is something that would be taught. But um, yeah, I don't know how how they would communicate with like any other languages with, with a newborn. I mean, and it's also just the fact that like Brian said, not all sounds are created the same because when the baby, you can still hear like the baby crying in some instances. And even though they're like underground and and whatever, it's just like, I don't see how they're not hearing all of, all of this, all of the movement, all of like the water splashing and, and all of the things. But Mm -hmm. as far as like fight or flight, because those senses are activated, do you, what are, I guess, what can make someone's fight or flight senses better than others? And I mean, does it depend on the more education that you have, you have better fight or flight senses or do you think it's the experiences that you have? Like, for instance, if you grew up in an environment where all you had to do was be physical and fight or be able to, you know, you had to scavenge for your food and, and all of these kinds of things. Like, do you think someone would fare well if they had more of an educational sense of mind or just like they grew up in the environment and they're able to physically survive? Um, I mean, with fight or flight, I feel like it's more complicated because like that is a like biological response to, to like a stimuli that's like trying to harm you. And so like, I feel like even, I think about this a lot of like, okay, like how do I not, sometimes I get startled very easily in my house by Brian. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> like I don't hear him and I'll be blow drying my hair. And then all of a sudden I'll hear hello really loudly. And it will scare the crap out of me. And like, I, yeah, I'm not like, I'm not like hiding behind doors. I just want to be very clear. <laughs> um, and, and I tend, I know that I like freeze in those moments and it's like so silly because like I'm in my house and like it's happened multiple times and it's like, how do you not like respond differently every time this happens? And I think, you know, there are things that you can do to try to minimize the risk of if something were to happen to you, like how to respond. But I think a lot of it boils down to like, this is a biological response where like adrenaline, adrenaline is pumping and then your body is responding in the way that it's, that it thinks it's going to protect you to the best of its abilities from that like danger stimulus. So I don't know. I think that there are certain things you can do to prepare um, in terms of like leading up to that point. But I think if like, if the thing, if whatever the thing is like just happens, like it's going to, and like, or at least like when your adrenaline kicks in, it's hard to know necessarily what, which of those responses is going to be the one that's activated. If it will be fight or flight or freeze, or um, there's also fawn, um, which is like, that comes up a lot more in, um, discourse with like intimate partner violence and like how, how, you know, people respond, um, in those types of dangerous situations. So yeah, it's like, I think it's hard to predict what kind of response you'll have, um, in a scary situation, but I wish I didn't freeze every time Brian said hello over my blow dryer, but it happens every time. <laughs> Brian, do you get scared easily? Or no? Is no. it just movies that you get? Yeah, I, just movies. Like I don't, I don't jump scare in real life that that much. Um, I think I, I scared don't, you in the kitchen the other day. Yeah, in the kitchen the other day, you definitely got me. But like, I don't, I don't scare too easily. Um, I like get myself in the mood to be scared when I'm watching movies, and I like give into all of that stuff. Like I let it affect me, but like I, I don't, I don't typically get. Uh, get scared in that way I also think I have a really good sense of my surrounding in terms of like I, I can hear when someone's coming behind me like I, I just like I, I just like have that I don't know if it's because of acting school or I don't know if it's because of like a lot of that stuff um, or if it's just biological but I definitely um, I, I, oh, I, I definitely don't feel it in that way and like if something is scary like my body automatically like shuts it down because like I'm I don't know, but it definitely like when I'm watching a scary movie, I like I I let down my guard and I give myself over because like we talked about like or very early on in this podcast, like not in this one, but like in the whole show in general, like I feel safe in my own home. So like when I'm or in the movie theater, so when I'm watching these things, I can give into it because I don't think anything else is going to come from outside of the screen, if that makes sense. Hmm. Absolutely. Which also goes into the discussion of like male versus female in environments, which we don't have to get into that. But I was just thinking when Brian oh, was that's true. feeling safe and it's like, well, if we're a female walking around, even if you are aware, you're aware of your surroundings, there kind of is a sense of there's something that could still happen to you because of mm-hmm. how society works, mm-hmm. how the world works. So that's also an, an interesting thing. I don't think that I scare easily as well. And if I am scared, I don't scream. I just kind of like 
catch myself and it's like, okay, we're there. So if that nail happened, I don't think I would scream, but also I've never had a nail inside my body. (laughs) That's like one of my folk, like being like accidentally stepping on a needle is like one of my worst fears. I think there was something to be said, like Brian mentioned about giving in to the being scared because in a haunted house situation, I'll scream all day long, but that's just because Mm -hmm. I know that I'm putting myself in that environment and that's what I'm there for. And so if something about it, I mean, I'm like, yeah, whatever. This is fun. I'm getting scared. (laughs) (laughs) If it's just a normal, like, oh, I heard the door close and I didn't close it. I don't know. My apartment is haunted. Anyways, do we have any other comments about this movie? Anything we left out? Anything you want to add? It's just great. It's like a really really good good movie. And I feel like this movie started the trend and we might get into this in suggestions of like one sense is missing from this movie, like a bird box and like all those like silence or whatever it is on Netflix with like Kiernan Shirpa and, um, and uh stanley tucci like all these movies of just like oh now no one in this movie can hear and no one can see in this movie and no one can like smell farts in this film like like i feel like there's like a lot <laughs> of those scary movies oh that's called um the farting oh yeah oh my gosh that movie is called stinky business <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's do some run tomatoes <laughs> Oh, okay. I can't do this because I accidentally saw the score. Oh, you did. Okay. Uh, Jamie, do you know what the Rotten Tomatoes is for this? I don't think so, but I'm going to guess like a 95 or 96. 96. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so smart. Yeah. A Quiet Place artfully plays on elemental fears with a ruthlessly intelligent creature feature that's as original as it is scary and establishes director John Krasinski as a rising talent. Work. Yeah. I can see that. Totally. Um, Should we do the four S's? Mm Mm-hmm. Skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. The talking horns, four S's. Skulls, scares, shakes, and suggestions. Um, let's go with Jamie. Let's start with you on skulls. Um, how well does this deal with like mental health, human behavior, that type of thing? Um, I'm going to give this a 6.5. I think it does okay. a pretty good job, like I was talking about before, of like what processing like grief and trauma can look like a lot of different, like a variety of responses. Cool. Nikisha? I had a lower score until we started talking about all of the trauma. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a five. Cool. Uh, I'm going to go with an eight because it, it gets the point across without sound. Mm. Scares. How spooky dookie is this? I'm going to give this a five. There's like a lot of, I don't think it's like, overly horrifying but it's so effective in like the sound design that it really the tension is like is very built up and and like again like I don't think that there's any overly like horrifying jump scares 
that I can think of off the top of my head. It's like a lot of the anticipating, like you see the thing kind of getting closer and closer. And like that part is like building up and building up, but not the like, boo, ah, kind of scare. What was that again? The boo, ah. Got it. (laughs) Yes. I gave it a three because. Oh, interesting. I wasn't scared. It is not that it wasn't a great movie. It is a great movie. I just was not scared. But I think what Jamie said about the tension building and I did have anxiety throughout my watch. Uh, lends mm-hmm. me, me to give it a three. Okay, um, I went with a seven only because I think that I I I think that the main sequences in this are excellent, and I wouldn't necessarily say that it's like jump out scary. So maybe I'm rating this wrong, but like mm-hmm. like you both said, the tension that I feel, the way that that opening sequence sets up everything else, like you know that the fact that they like murdered this child at the beginning of the movie just kind of like opened up the rest of the movie for like anything to kind of happen that like game of thrones feeling if you will like no character Mm -hmm. is safe at any point like the pregnancy scene is just like i wanted to like give birth to a baby for her like just so she didn't have to deal with like this the monsters but like um yeah i i just think that uh that that's a seven for me um shakes how how much is movie gonna stick with you um, I'm going to give it a four because it's it, really the, the plot and like concept behind it has stuck with me for a while. It's just, it's, it was very like, like you said, it really kind of started this trend of like using sound as a, as a focal point to move the story along. And so that aspect has stuck with me. Also the fact that like, I do love John Krasinski. I'm, I'm a huge office fan. And so like, I was really excited that this was his first directorial, directorial debut and that it went so well. Um, so all of those things are going to stick with me. Great. Uh, Nahisha. I'm going to give it a four as well for the concept and for the cinematography. I'm going to remember a lot of those shots, but it's nothing that I would say you, I guess I, it's nothing that I would say you, it's only your top five to watch in the horror movie world. Hmm. So I'll give it a full. Oh, yeah. I gave it an eight. I really love this movie. Um, I think that this is the like cream of the crop when it comes to like these types of movies. I think that, I think what sets it apart is the strong acting in it. Um, I, it's specifically Emily Blunt. Um, I think that it's the sound design is great. I think that opening sequence and the finale are just like, at least the sequence in the, in the basement are just fire. Um, so I'm really, I'm, I really dig all that stuff for sure. Uh, cool. Let's go with suggestions. What do you suggest? I feel like there are a million movies that we can suggest for this without suggesting a quiet place part two. Yeah, that was my suggestion. No. <laughs> I I mean, I don't have super great suggestions, but just along the post-apocalyptic world, some of my faves, I love I Am Legend. <laughs> so, Oh, you do? Interesting. <laughs> you know, the writing, i.e. Will Smith. And I would also suggest The Day After Tomorrow, Mm. I like the climate apocalyptic and I was trying to stray away from zombie apocalypse because it's not a zombie it's more of it's a monster post-apocalyptic so that yeah 
What yeah. a weird. First of all, and it, that's so. I mean, I love those movies. Jamie will be the first one to tell you that I love like 2012 and the day after tomorrow and like all those dumb movies like like oh. Geostorm <laughs> and Greenland, which I can't wait to watch. Like all that dumb stuff. I love it so much. Like the Poseidon Adventure, but like the day after tomorrow, like they get chased by ice. Like that stuff is that movie is that is all I've been thinking about this whole time since you brought it up is like that ice the freezing scene oh my god and I am Legend is great until you see the monsters (laughs) yes fair but I still love it maybe I just yeah he's great he's great in it so like that I mean you're watching him for an hour and like again not talk like Tom Hanks that that dog poor Sam I know Uh, we'll always remember hashtag um. All right, Jamie, you have a suggestion? Yeah, I have two, especially since you spoiled one of mine. So, like, duh, Bird Box, I think, is a really apropos recommendation. Um, Because, again, it's, like, using a very similar concept of, like, this sense is canceled. How do you survive? Um, With a great performance by your girl, Sandy B. Sandy Um, Sandy B. And so the other one that I want to suggest that I think it has some like inspiration from it is the first alien movie. Oh, Um, good one. Because I think like there's a lot to say about, um, you know, how people are trying to like navigate the, the big bad um, and definitely some like comparable strategies that I think John Krasinski used from that movie. So if you enjoy A Quiet Place, I definitely think you would enjoy the original Alien movie. Have y'all watched The Thing? Side note, by the way. Yes. I I haven't watched that since college. That was the first time I saw it. I have not seen that, and I started Alien, and I have not finished that either. So (laughs) to get on it. Get on it! Uh, That's your homework. And I haven't seen Bird Box either. That's your homework, Andy B. So since we're all doing two, I guess I'll do two as well. My two are Hush, Mike Flanagan's Hush, and uh, Don't Breathe. Great. Mm. Great. Uh, both having to do with the senses and uh, the lack of them and, and the filmmaking, you know, makes use of that in an interesting way. Again, Hush is by Mike Flanagan, and it's excellent. I, I, I watched it on Netflix. I don't know if it's still there. Um, and then Don't Breathe starts James Levy, um, as well as What's-His-Name from Avatar. Um, they're making a sequel. I think the sequel comes out this year or next year. Uh, so, like, um, <clears throat> I thought that I really enjoyed that, too. We, um, I watched both of those over um, over quarantine, I believe. So those are my two. But that is a quiet That's a, that's a quiet place, everyone. So quiet. Shh. Where can, they, where can people find us, Nikisha? They can find us Instagram and Twitter at Talk Horror Pod P-O-D. I would die, guys. I cannot. <laughs> Just a side note, as a singer, whispering is the worst thing that you can Oh, yeah. Do. Totally. Wait, like, really? Yes. Because, yeah. side note, what's happening is when you talk, your vocal folds are coming together. And when you whisper, they don't come together. So it creates this tension because they want to come together and they can't because you're not actually phonating. And it harms your voice more than it helps it. So guys, yeah. don't whisper. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yes. But 
please give us suggestions on other things that you want us to talk about and watch, especially if it's things that we haven't seen. Although Jamie's Rolodex of horror movies is pretty grand, I cannot compete. But I will always accept more. Good old classics. And Brian, where can they listen yeah, listen, subscribe to us on things like uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can rate and review us there. Five stars, please. And thank, and thank you. you. Um, yeah, definitely review us. Uh, give us five stars. I'd appreciate it because we can. it gets us out there and um, more people can find us and talk about this from the perspective that we talk about it from. And I have a new theme song, courtesy of this talk, for A Quiet Place. <laughs> Into the thick of it. Into the thick of it. Thank you, Doc. Where? Get into the thick of it with the quiet. (laughs) Goodbye. Amazing.